it's easy for I think some videos which don't really like have any benefit to go viral for a couple millions, but I think it's really mm-hmm. hard to replicate it into the tens of millions, right? Like there is right. a science behind it that I think a lot yeah. of people kind of dismiss, but I think the people who yeah. try to understand it and utilize it will have a lot of success in this. Welcome to the Full-Time Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Lee, and I'll be sharing industry knowledge and social media tips through weekly interviews with established creators and Q&A sessions. Our goal is to help you decode social media, become a full-time influencer, and do what you love for a living. Let's dive in. Today, I have a very good friend, Will. We worked together on a few projects. The biggest one was he came and helped us film and photograph the Tina Lee Creations clothing line last year in October in Paris. And then since we've also traveled to Qatar together with the tourism board and the airline, Qatar Airlines. So we know a lot about each other, but I would love for everyone to get to know Will as well. So Hi, Will. Can you just tell us in one sentence like a bit about yourself and then we'll get into your background? Yes. Um, thank you for having me on. So I'm Will and I'm a filmmaker slash photographer um, that's been living out of Asia for the past five years. Yes. Actually, your background is super interesting because right now you have a very large social media following. But not so long ago, actually, when we first met, you didn't even really care about social media at all. So what is your actual background and what were you doing before you jumped into social media? So I come from more of a traditional filmmaking background. So this consists of shooting big uh, productions, uh, whether from like 10 to 100 people on sets for TV commercials, uh, documentaries, music videos, um, short films. Having a side life uh, on Instagram and TikTok was fun until recently when everything blew up and I was like, wow, this is, um, I can actually use my skills that I learned from traditional filmmaking into social content where a lot more people can engage with it and also see me as a person instead of the person behind the camera. Yeah, yeah. I love that transition that you made in the recent months where you're really becoming more of a personality. And we'll definitely dive into that. But first, do you want to name drop? Like, what are some of the brands that you have been on a film set for? Uh, let's say Airbnb. Uh, I've been on set. I was touring with Alan Walker for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, I worked with Sony Music for a good part of my career where I grew a lot. Yes, yes. Didn't you do a commercial for Diesel? Yeah, I was I was, uh, I was. was on set for this. I was AD for that Diesel commercial, which was about a couple months ago. Okay, what is AD? AD means uh, assistant director. Oh, okay. So basically, I'm the guy that's like yelling at everybody while the director actually just manages the talents and the storyline, right? So Got it. basically, I'm making sure everybody does everything that they have to do and we're not behind schedule. Yeah. So on a smaller set, like a director would have to do this as well, but on a bigger project... The director doesn't have time because he has to focus just on managing the story and the talents. And so one thing that is actually super interesting about Will is that he is super young. Tell us how old you are right now. I just turned 25 about a few months ago. Yeah, that's crazy. And you've been living in Asia by yourself for the last five years doing like commercial film directing and assisting. That's correct. That's correct. Wow. So that's a super interesting story. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Like, how did you get started so early and see so much success at such a young age? When I was 18, I took a gap semester and ended up backpacking Southeast Asia. And this is where my Instagram career more or less started, mainly because 
I was seeing like all these like really cool like travel photographers, travel influencers, and they were just traveling all over the world. I think this was like during like the the starting point of when yeah. influencer marketing was like really blowing up on socials. And I think that really inspired me to continue traveling, but as well as like documenting and showing this to like my friends on social and hopefully growing a bigger following to like do this as a full-time job, right? Fast forward a couple of years, I decided to study Chinese in Shanghai. And during this time, uh, I kept getting so many gigs, uh, whether for socials or whether for the commercial end. And I was like, wow, I guess this is like the point where I can decide to whether stay in Asia and keep building what I've built the past year or go back to school. And ultimately I ended up staying in Asia and I think it was definitely for the better. I kind of uh, got a head start on everybody else where they would wait till graduation of university and then try to start their career, right? But yeah. because uh, I was so young, I had a head start. And I think one thing that kind of helped me along with this is that I would never properly tell people my age, actually. <laughs> they, would yes. always, they would always ask me how old I was and I would be like, oh, guess uh, guess how old I am? And then they would be like, I don't know, 25, 26? And I would be like, yeah, something along those lines. And then boom, I would change the conversation to something else. And then they would never ask me again. <laughs> That's so funny because when we first met in person, he also asked me the same question. You were like, oh, how, how old do you think I am? And I was like, 28. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no, I'm 24. I think at that time you were like 24 or 3. I think I was 24. Even. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so shocked because I was like, how is that possible? I already reduced the number by a little bit in my head and then I guessed it. But that's, that's like street smarts that you learn by, mm. you know, starting to work so young. And that's definitely something that I really admire about you. And I think you, um, carry very well every, in every aspect of your life, like, uh, making friends and hanging out with people and socializing and then also building your social following, including like just being really mature about it and uh, including like your whole attitude towards TikTok and Instagram. And yeah, let's definitely talk about that actually. So how did you decide at what point, like what was the pivotal point? So you're doing commercial uh, filming and directing. At what point were you like, hey, maybe I should give my social media more attention and then started posting more? I think I started giving my social more attention when uh, I decided to leave Japan about a year and a half ago. That was for just COVID. That was because of COVID, yeah. And with that, a lot of my connections in Asia was kind of left behind on the commercial side. So I had to rebuild everything in the U.S., right? And mm. I wasn't getting so many commercial gigs because people always assumed that I wouldn't like stay for too long. And I didn't really have connections from like when I was younger. So I think I had the time uh, and also like the finances to really push travel as well as like pushing out content like social content uh, as much as possible yeah at one point i was pushing out like three content pieces a day just because i was treating as a full-time job and i didn't have to worry about uh, anything else i think with just pushing out so much content i was able to meet people who are also creating uh, this much content on a daily basis right. and it was like a mutually beneficial relationship where i would like help him or her and then she would help me we would cross promote each other right and i think i would Learn so much from them how to grow socials on a modern level, like 2022. And I think yeah. that really helped to make my content more appealing on the social content level. That's definitely something that I noticed when I first met you. I was like, oh, he's super like into film and movies and like horizontal landscape photos. Um, and then 
months after we started sort of hanging out more and then you're also hanging out with like Jerome and Elona and we're all like social media content creators like we learned photography and videography through social media not like you where you learned the traditional way and then your style started changing and then you started doing like really like approachable social media content like iPhone tricks and phone hacks or camera hacks and all of that and so I feel like you kind of found this nice spot like this perfect spot where you showcase traditional film like super expensive nice gear but then you also showcase like super easy approachable camera tips and you combine those two to sort of be like this mix of high high low content right yeah exactly i th- i think having like the knowledge from like the bigger end and kind of like really bringing that down and making it like easier for a lot of normal people i think that really sells and I, it's funny because a lot of my traditional filmmaking friends even like my uh, business partners they're always uh making fun of me because <laughs> they call me like the mobile like camera tricks guy and then they're like yeah can you even like still use a big camera and i'm like of course this is like <laughs> I spent years doing this. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a very different world. Traditional media and now social media, it's a very different mindset. And often they rarely step and cross over. And usually people from traditional media would say like social media is just a for fun like it's not really anything serious and um it's low quality however i i feel that now people care more and more about social media and there's just so many more opportunities and even money in social media would you say that's true has a lot changed since you started doing social media yeah i think a lot, a lot has changed so actually i just got off a call with my partner yesterday um we're doing the Okinawa tourism board job uh, and basically the agency pitched two different routes one was cheating a classic tv commercial and then the mm. other route was pushing like influencer marketing and i think yeah uh initially like they wanted like a 50 50 split but it seemed like yeah. a lot more money like the majority of the budget went into influencer marketing so my, my my partner calls me up and he's like hey i heard like there's a lot more money in influencer marketing like why why are you doing this like why like, let me direct my commercial with a big budget. Like, what? <laughs> taking all the money. And I was like, well, bro, like, this is, like, how things are now. Times are changing. Yeah. And if Japan can change, um, because Japan's always behind, if Japan can change, I think the rest of the world will like, keep really pushing it forward. Absolutely. And I feel like you have sort of the perfect marriage between really high-quality camera and traditional filming knowledge, uh, but making it into, like, vertical format and um, sharing knowledge in that sense. So I, th- I find that super interesting. So can you paint the picture for us? You um, came to the US from Japan because of COVID to take a break at last year. What follower account were you at when you first came? So March 2021, uh, I think on my 24th birthday, my follower account on Instagram was maybe like 9K, maybe touching 10K. On TikTok, it was maybe 500 followers or 600 followers. Mm-hmm. So very, mm-hmm. very modest at the time. And then did you just slowly start to post and then ramp up the frequency after you saw some traction? Like what was your posting schedule and then how long did it take for you to see traction? During that time, I really believed in posting daily. So I was probably posting daily or even like every other day day for a while and I think when I started traveling all over the US as well as Latin America um, I just had so much content so I was constantly posting on my stories and like daily but then when I went on a trip with Alona and Jerome project for Avon stay that's when I, I think something clicked in my head and I was like oh this is like the social content that really is appealing this is when I was also at the same time consuming so much content on TikTok and Instagram 
to the point now, I guess a year later, that I I know almost every single training sound. I'm like I have like hundreds of training sounds like saved yeah. as well as like being updated training videos so i feel like i can constantly just like half a second to like look at the video and like know exactly what's going to happen i think just consuming as much content as well as pushing out your own content really does uh, make a big impact on how you will do in the future so if i'm hearing it right it took you um, a few months to even just experiment around with um, content and different styles and realizing okay this didn't work like all this cinematic stuff didn't really work out so well and then you looked at all the trends and you looked at the stuff that worked well and slowly and continuously adapted your work and that's how you find found like your sweet spot with your type of content on tiktok especially i have three separate playlists that i think uh really do well on my on my page and it's it's one camera tricks two uh beautiful destination which is travel mm. and three just me being funny and i mm. i noticed that like in that order as well that's like the the rate of engagement and i try to like keep my niche kind of uh concise in that way and i think that really helped really like niche down and really push out content. I love that you pointed that out, how you have three types of video content that you identified as performing particularly well for you, but also fit your brand and like your style. Um, because that's what I always tell people to do, to do a ton of experiment. And then from there, figure out like roughly three to five different styles of like different patterns of reels that or TikToks that speak to you and perform well for you. And then just go all in on that because that's how you define your style and find your niche, like through a lot of experimentation and then honing in on, on those few things. So then when did you actually have your first like super viral TikTok or reel? The most uh, viral video I ever had was, uh, it's like, I think it's sitting around like 50 mil uh, views on TikTok at the moment. And it's, uh, I call it camera trick number 24, where I show people uh, <laughs> how to use like the exposure sundial on the iPhone. Yeah. And literally just like bring it all the way down so it's super dark. Yeah. And then as the sun's setting, you just like slide your finger up within like one second of smooth motion. And it seems like it's like a it's like a day to night transition or something like this. Mm-hmm. And apparently a lot of people didn't know you could do this on iPhone. So it was very shareable. It was very easy for everybody to do with iPhones. And mm-hmm. it also had the New York uh, skyline in the background. Mm. So it was also very visually appealing. So people wouldn't click out of it like right away. So basically that that video hit several different aspects of like a good shareable viral reel, which is like it's shareable it's really easy for people to be like oh did you know this second is it's really relatable and and uh really accessible because most people have iphones and then third it's like also kind of aspirational and cool because it's new york city so it hits a lot of those sweet spots right and so there is a reason why it went viral um, it wasn't just by chance. You had all the right elements in one video. Yeah, it's it's easy for, I think, some videos which don't really like have any benefit to go viral for a couple millions. But I think it's really mm-hmm. hard to replicate it into the tens of millions, right? Like there is right. a science behind it that I think a lot yeah. of people kind of dismiss. But I think the people who yeah. try to understand it and utilize it will have a lot of success in this. So then how did you use this knowledge and then continue to double down on that momentum that you saw? So I titled it camera trick number 24, um, mainly because 24 was my favorite number as well as like that was my age at the time, right? So Wait, I don't this was have... your first camera trick? Yeah, so I don't actually have And you titled it 24? Yeah. I, <laughs> is, I, is this th- a hack? Two... <laughs> 
this this might be a hack. So there's two reasons I did this. Like one was that I knew if I started at one, it probably wouldn't get traction because like right. one and like people are gonna like are not gonna wait for number two, right? Right. And right. so I started like a higher number to make people think that I've done so many others. Yeah. And two, it was just my favorite number. So I was like, this, I just have to do it. It's like just for fun. I actually love that. That's so smart. Yeah, I know. And then like I have so many other views like on the like, past videos, which has nothing to do with camera tricks. And people yeah. were so confused. They're like, they're always commenting like, hey, where's the other 23 tricks? Like, where's number 21, 22? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's also an engagement hack. You get people to mm, comment yeah. because something is out of the norm and they're like, oh, what is this? <laughs> so you get a reaction from people. That's good. Exactly. So that, that's a little known uh, secret. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, on TikTok, I actually did number 24. But on Instagram, I posted at the same time. But on Instagram, I like did like a different text completely. And I think I used a different song and I wrote something else completely different. So I think on Instagram, mm. it only hit 10 million. But I think mm. because uh, the content was already good with the three things that we mentioned, like it was able to hit like, yes. 10 million. But I think if I yes. did it with camera trick number 24, it would have hit like multi 10 right. million, 30 million maybe right. as well. So that's a small loss, right. but I can accept that. That's okay. <laughs> 10 million is super viral. Okay. But <laughs> I, I love that because, you know, everything about like engineering a viral reel is just several aspects of it added together. Um, so if you take away certain titles and you'll see the results diminish a little bit. So all of these things do come together and they all matter and they all help to compound the reach and and the views and everything so i love that you mentioned that because that really tells us that you know it's not by chance that people just things just randomly go viral mm. um, although occasionally it does but then even if that does happen those views rarely ever convert to follows whereas yours was not just relatable and sort of had this aspirational quality it's also educational so people would save it and if they're like oh there's 24 camera tricks i'm gonna follow him for more <laughs> <laughs> you trick them into following you but i mean it worked for you so i think exactly. that's super smart i i think what was also key uh with that was i think i gained like from a thousand tiktok followers to like uh, 30,000 overnight like wow. so fast it was it was crazy but I yeah. knew like I had to keep the momentum going so immediately yeah. the next day I wake up like 8 a.m and I was like whoa so many followers I think my TikTok is like glitching and then like it was like 100 like <laughs> new like likes like 100 like followers every single second wow um so with that I like called them like a couple of my friends and I was like hey we have to like film like three more camera trick videos today uh which I did and I think for the next like three or like four weeks like two to three like tiktoks and even four tiktoks a day just to keep the momentum going and also mm. making sure that the followers do know that i will have more uh, camera trick videos as well as content yeah. in the future yes yes that's a great tip basically what you go viral for you want to be intentional about it because if you were if you actually went viral for just being like doing a random silly stunt or being stupid, um, then people won't actually follow you for like camera gear or camera tricks, which is actually what you want to be known for. And now that you actually went viral with the content in your niche, you're doubling down on that immediately the next day. And are you also posting multiple times a day or? Yeah, it was at that point, it was like three times a day minimum, like morning, uh, afternoon, like 2, 2 p.m. And I think at like at night, 8 p.m. New York time. I really tried to keep it strategic and I was like literally on my phone for the next month, like almost like 16 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. So is it just a ton of research? I just, um, I made it a priority to always consume as much content as possible and yeah. then like have uh, as much content plans as possible as well. So mm. I would just dedicate the whole day to filming like five or six reels or TikToks. 
and it directly translated to followers because within the next like month i had like 200k wow uh, so fast yeah and then after that i slowly like kept rising i think it's around it's almost at 600k now on tiktok actually and you also repeated the same camera trick right i i did a couple times um but i tried to keep it did it in a unique way i noticed that i was one of the first uh people to do this camera trick because then afterwards mm. literally every other camera mm. trick person on socials they recreated it in a like actually cooler environment than me mm. um and also directly like translated to view so you can kind of mm. like see how it is the science right it's just not by chance because everybody else like replicated it and boom they also like had the views right away i see i see so then you kind of built on top of that instead of just doing the exact same trick again in a different place you did it slightly more advanced so to differentiate yourself exactly exactly and then i realized like the the market for mobile camera tricks was like if i like pushed it so much that I could, it would directly translate to followers and just like brand deals and it, it did yeah i think the month one month later i reached out to as many uh companies as possible and i realized that almost like 80 percent or 75 percent of the people that i reached out to in the company would get back to me right away just because yeah i had the social proof right mm-hmm. uh, even though I think during that time, TikTok wasn't as valuable as YouTube, uh, Instagram subscribers and followers. Mm-hmm. Um, but because there's such a large number, a lot of brands just like want to just communicate and just see where yeah. it can lead to. That's super smart because you use the traction to post more and then grow exponentially. And then very quickly, while you had that amazing traction, you also reached out to brands. So what are some of the opportunities that you've had since? Are there some favorite ones that you can share? I kind of narrowed it down to two different uh, routes. One is like on the traditional filmmaking side because that's my background. I reached out to a mm-hmm. lot of like high-end like cinema, like mm. lens companies like like Atlas, like um, like Sigma, and everybody would reach out back, reach back to me to the point where now I have a great relationship with like these camera companies where they would send me like gigs for the new like camera rig, like Tilta or like small rig. We'd be like, hey, let's let's work on this together. What are you, are you interested in this? Um, and as well as on the travel side, almost like every like tourism board, I can kind of like get a foot in the door and they yeah. would be interested in hearing my pitch. That's really amazing. Um, that just happened so fast for you. But I do think you have this advantage of being in your agency and knowing how to pitch companies for projects and for uh, films and commercials. And so you do have that expertise already. So that must have been a lot easier and faster for you to just immediately go and start pitching. Exactly. So I, I think coming from a, also like a traditional company like Sony, we always had to write hundreds of emails like every week, yeah. right? So oh. with that, I think my email um, communication is, is really mm-hmm. fantastic. So once I'm able to communicate, like this is like my idea, and then can we just jump on a call? I think within that like 30, 15 minute call, I'm able to like just demonstrate like, hey, I'm a real person, I'm a real deal, like, you can trust me with this. Let's work together yeah. as a partnership. I think once I get onto a call, then it's a lot easier to close a deal. I love that. I feel like you can share so so much uh, information with us on that side. Could you tell us maybe some tips when you're pitching, especially from a more social media perspective, like as an influencer, um, what are some of the must put in uh, key items inside the email or how can you differentiate yourself from like a thousand other pitches to make yourself heard? For emailing, what I usually do is, let's just say like, hi, Tina, my name is Will. Uh, this is my socials. I like link my socials. And then immediately I'm like, I love, let's just say like lenses. Like I love your lenses. I've been using them for the past so-and-so. I would be happy to jump on a call with you guys to talk further. What I usually do at the very end, which is very key, is that I say, 
if you're not totally opposed to working together, I would love to continue this conversation further. And then I was mm. like, bye. All right, thank you, Will. And then, like, I think that last, like, paragraph, like, allows me to close a lot more deals because they're obviously they're not totally opposed to it. Mm. So they would probably communicate back, like, yeah, we're not totally opposed to it. Let's do it. Yeah, that's interesting wording to sort of get people to, to be open-minded and considerate. And so then once you get on a call with them, how do you approach the call? I think calls are very daunting for people, especially, like, for anyone who doesn't have experience just pitching a lot. Hopping on a call, what on earth do we say? <laughs> like, how, how does the call go? We would schedule a Google Meet. Uh, ideally, video call is like the best. That way you can actually see each other in person. And then the way I like outline my uh, calls is kind of like a five paragraph like essay, right? Because mm. coming from a poly political science background and during university, I had to write so many essays. And I realized like in the beginning of my uh, university career, I was like, so bad. Um, but then I got significantly better just because my structure got a lot better. And that definitely helps to make your calls uh, a lot better as well. Usually the intro, it's like, hey, uh, I'm Will, how are you? And then like we just have like nice small talk and banter mm-hmm. about anything yeah. uh, else other than the call that we're going to have. Yeah. Uh, and then you kind of test the waters and see if they really want to go into the conversation or not. If they don't, it's actually even better because you can actually get to know the person on a more personal mm-hmm. level than on a business company level. Because right. at the end of the day, they are just an employee at the company. They're not like the CEO that like founded the company, right? If you make their lives a lot more personal and just easier, they're just more likely to work with you. After that initial uh, small talk, I kind of ask what like their plans are for, let's just say 2022. As they're talking, kind of like start thinking of a way that you can kind of help them in their mm-hmm. project that's already green light instead of you coming yes. out of nowhere with a different project entirely. If they're also unsure, then say like, hey, this is what I'm thinking for this partnership. Like, what are your thoughts? And And what I usually say is I'm more comfortable with a longer term partnership because I love your company and this is what I want to do for the like long term instead of a one off deal. And then to close the conversation like towards the end, if I have like two points, like let's say I want one retainer deal for a monthly basis or like initial like first like tester, I'm like, hey, you can send me one of your like new camera bodies. I'll just test it out like no strings attached. We can kind of like start building our partnership that way because this is something that I think a lot of companies would be like oh yeah like it's a no-brainer like we have no loss right and then yeah once that one-off thing goes well then we're like and they already know that you want a longer partnership so it's already Mm. on the table for the roadmap and then the closing line should always be like when's the next time that we should chat or what's like the next thing that we should move on with right so i always make sure i I hit that and then after the call like write this note down and then like send a follow-up email for like a small recap of what we talked about mm-hmm. and then move on to the next uh, client. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that detailed overview. And what I think was particularly smart was that you first lay out that you're expecting a long-term retainer paid partnership but then at the end you give them a no-brainer to say yes to to make it so easy to want to start working with you even if it's not paid first but then they already know that later on they gotta pay if they want to continue to work with you and so that kind of goes hand in hand and so then you uh, sort of ensure that it becomes a longer term partnership that way and has that generally worked really well for you i think i think it has worked well right now uh, i have a canon partnership in japan and these guys i followed the same format a year ago and mm. the deal that we have right now for the past year is that we're able to get uh any canon gear and uh, at the at, for the past year which we have used on many many different projects 
Um, yeah. And now we're definitely in talks with that longer term retainer deal, mainly because my socials has grown mm. substantially in the past, how, how long now? Like six months. There's a couple mobile editing platforms that I have a retainer with, uh, which you can see the, the videos on my t TikTok. But I, th I think the format has worked well and I'm able to build partnerships on a more personal level like this way. That's amazing. I think that's super valuable advice. Actually, I personally generally prefer not to hop on calls. It's just not my personality and I'm not very good at small talk and phone conversations but for anybody listening if you are comfortable doing that or if you are comfortable practicing getting better at phone calls this is definitely a great way great way great way to get your foot in and be remembered outside of just everyone's generic email so that is that's great advice did you know that there are at least 11 ways to make money on Instagram? Creators are making six or even seven figures by sharing their passions online, and you can too. I created a free guide called the Ultimate Instagram Monetization Guide, covering all the ways you can monetize your account, even if you don't have any followers yet. In this guide, you'll find step-by-step -step tips, resources, and links so you can start making money from Instagram today. Head to successfulinfluencer.com slash monetize to download your copy or click the link in the description of this episode. Now back to the show. Actually, I do want to say, um, kind of just on a personal note, like I've, I feel like I have learned some general life lessons from you. Um, that was one of them where the interpersonal relationship is so important in, I would say, the influencer marketing industry, but really it's important in every industry. And I feel like for you at, at such a young age, maybe because you've had so much practice, but also your personality, um, you've just kind of mastered this, like fit into any situation, be able to talk to anybody and make conversation no matter what the situation is. And just like through traveling with you, I feel like you're able to like, oh, see there's a situation and then you can find a good way to like kind of solve it or make everyone feel comfortable. And I, I think that's a skill that maybe you've acquired over time, but maybe also something you have natural talent in, but it's so important. Yeah, I think it's super important. And uh, there is a few books that I've read um, that mm. I think helped me and like elevate me on, on like a more higher level. But one technique I do use is, uh, we call it like the Ford method, I believe. Um, this helps you to continue this conversation with somebody that you don't really know um, mm. without having like that awkward silence for a longer a lot longer than it actually needs to be so i kind of memorize a ford method like like this where it's f is like family where you can kind of like talk about family and mm. where your siblings are like where my sibling right. sister like went to school blah 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 and after that we do o which is occupation like how is your job like oh. what do you do like how do you like like how did you get into this and then after that it's yeah. recreational where you can talk about hobbies and sports and then the final thing which you shouldn't ever start out with is dream yes yes so it's like what is your aspiration what is your dream and that if you follow that method like without like just it's an easy thing to remember if you follow that method it really helps to push the conversation into like a nicer level and then you end it with dream where you actually have mm -hmm. a bigger impact because you tell them your dreams and they tell you your dreams and then it makes like a stronger bond and, and yes. build trust without it being so cliche and just like so forced right. actually. That's a great tip. And then what are the books that you read that helped? I think the best uh, negotiation book, for example, would be how to, how, wait, what is it? Not split the difference. Don't split the mm. difference. 
Don't spoil it. Yeah, uh, I've heard of that book. Chris Voss. I read this negotiation book maybe five or six times at this point. Yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of really good、uh, tips and tricks in there that allow you to be really confident on phone calls and close a deal、uh, where. It seems like it's really benefiting both parties, and everybody goes home happy. That's fantastic. Is that from the FBI guy? Yeah, it's from the ex FBI agent.、Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, another thing that I think is really unique about you that I did want to point out on this podcast, and this is getting kind of weird, like、uh, things I love about Will podcast, but <laughs> but、um, the other thing that I really thought was special about you is that you're you're a yes man. Like you will say yes to almost anything if you're physically able to, and it doesn't <laughs> like you don't detest it. Then you will say yes to it, and I think that's such a great attitude to have. And maybe it's because you're younger, but that has opened so many doors for you, hasn't it? I think so. I I think saying yes to a lot of opportunities where. You you might not、uh, think would be like really benefiting you is sometimes、mm-hmm. at the end of the day like actual might in a non direct way. There's a lot of instances where I would say yes to a project and like for example, let's say like when I was in Shanghai, I was actually shooting Shanghai Fashion Week as a photographer.、Um, I I'm not the biggest fan of fashion to be honest. No offense, Tina. <laughs> no, it's okay. But I I was like、oh, it seems fun. I've never shot Fashion Week before. It was for like this Italian magazine,、yeah. and I was、yeah. like I'll do it. So three days,、uh, nonstop shooting.、Um, at the end, the end, I knew I wouldn't like it. I didn't really like it. I never shot it again.、Yeah. But they they kept calling me like every single year to do it. But、wow. I think the one thing that I did get out of it was、um, meeting a couple like really reputable like stylists and like photographers、uh, in the industry, and、mm-hmm. that I would have never met before because this is not my niche, right? Yeah, yeah.、Um, And one of them、uh, is a fashion photographer. And he's like still like really good friends with me. He's a fashion photographer slash lawyer, actually. Like me and him are really good friends, and he helped me in a lot of、uh, deals as well earlier on in my career. And、mm-hmm. I don't think I would have ever met him if I didn't say yes to this opportunity. Actually, yeah, that's amazing. I really love that attitude because I think for me, after doing content for like five, almost six years now, I've become a little jaded. Where I'm like, oh, this opportunity, I don't want to do it. Like I have to preserve my energy, or like、mm-hmm. I have to say no to a lot of things. And I'm I'm becoming very selective. And also partially because I have a husband, so I can't just like run <laughs> off on my own all the time. Um, but that's just if you're able to, just say yes to as many opportunities as possible. Like say yes to this free event. Say yes to like this person who wants to meet up or this creator who wants to collab.、Mm-hmm. Because you you honestly never know where it will lead, and、um, it can open so many doors for you as it as it has in your life as well. And so I think you you just. Are a perfect example of that. So I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, I think early, definitely early on in the career, if if you're saying yes to almost everything, then there's so many like doors that you would have never thought would have opened up would open up to you. And then of、mm-hmm. course, when you get a little bit bigger or a lot bigger, then you can kind of pick and choose. But you kind of have to do your dues in the beginning. And I I do think it really pays off in the future. Now that you have built this super large following, like over 100k on Instagram, over. 500k on TikTok, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's the next step because your growth happened really fast. I'm going to assume that maybe some of these followers don't really know who you are just yet, and they followed you for all the valuable tricks. So what is the next step for you to really build like a 
super fans and like a cult-like environment. Yeah. So to really build that community. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's really important to really grow that one percent of hardcore followers that you have. Uh, the people that are going to buy your presets, your LUTs, like that will travel with you, that will buy your packages. It's this this one percent is super super key, and I feel like a lot of people uh, don't have this. Maybe because. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the following, but they don't like necessarily know how to build that brand, right? So I think I'm actually gonna hit 200k on Instagram probably next week. Wow! Uh, I think I'm like 192 or 193 right now. I think once I pass that 200k threshold, then I'm gonna really focus on having a lot more personal uh, content that I think is really cool and mm-hmm. and show my face as much as possible and like the gear I use and like my brand loyalty because. I think that's just the next evolution if I don't want to be drowned out as just like another uh, yes. mobile electrics person, right? Yes, um, yes. I, I, I do find like a lot of uh, these camera tricks people, they don't necessarily show their face. It just shows like yes. uh, the product and then how they do it. And I think that's not so uh, personal and it's not really like exactly. building a brand per se, right? So, so that's my next evolution uh, right after that. And then I think once I have that like 1% and like building building my per- own personal brand um, then i think i'll even get more personal with doing a lot more live video because i think mm. um live video is definitely uh the next evolution of social media i love that you have a good plan it's definitely super important because in the beginning you're using the traction to grow in terms of breadth but now you're gonna go for more depth so after you depth. have yeah. yeah you have breadth in TikTok and Instagram in terms of follower count and the next part is to go for depth and really cultivate that uh, loyal audience instead of just mm. an audience that will follow quickly for a few tips and then leave yeah. you know in a month or so or even right away yeah so that's a great next step I think you have a string a really strong uh, core audience Tina it's like <laughs> every time I, I check out your comment section everybody's writing like paragraphs and like just like saying how you inspire them and even on our Paris trip like there's so many people that recognize you and all these like uh Instagram hotspots and and I was like wow like she's uh, she's an icon (laughs) that's that's crazy because um how how we met like a few people on our trip alone but the reason for that is actually because I've been on this platform for almost six years and so there are people who have been following me for many years and every day almost I would show up and share things even when I didn't have as many followers but I would just still talk to them like they're all of my followers because they are and then they're just important to me and that that relationship just built over time but also i'm very responsive in the dms um, as much as i can it's getting a bit hard to keep up nowadays um, when when i get flooded with responses that um, maybe are just like nice responses so not necessarily need me to like answer a question Um, but otherwise back in the day i would always respond to every single thing and i think it was really built over time. One more thing I wanted to talk about is your success on TikTok. And I thought this was really exceptional how you blew up on TikTok. And one thing I noticed was that you're just not afraid to experiment and post a lot. Like you had the volume. And so there's many, many opportunities for you to grow and go viral. Um, That's one thing that I feel like Instagram people don't have where we're always like super careful, like, oh, people won't like this. This one won't perform well, so I'm not going to post it. We're like all scared and we're like walking on eggshells. Whereas you just like, 
I don't care. I'm just going to post volume. I'm going to post it everywhere. And it worked out so well for you um, from there for you to even also continually hone in and, and improve, right? Do you feel like that's just, that was one part of it where you didn't care too much about what people thought or how people engaged with it and then just pushed forward until you saw traction? I think last year, 2021, was when TikTok was properly blowing up and I think it hit billion uh, monthly users, right? So I noticed that uh, people didn't really take it seriously at that point and yeah. Instagram was known as like super pretty like aesthetics and everybody cared about their feed while TikTok was just uh, people talking to their front-facing camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They still get like millions of views, right? I really believe that the future was going to be people talking into the camera and kind of being a lot yeah. more personal and relatable to everyday people. And mm-hmm. I, I really like believe that these types of this type of content will really uh, shine for the future. And I think now Instagram is kind of becoming that type of platform where people are, like talking to the camera and, and yes. not not take themselves so seriously. Because mm-hmm. if you take yourself so seriously, then I feel like you're kind of a walking advertisement, right? And you're too polished, yeah. and you might be an ad that people want to swipe away too fast. So. Yeah. I think the people that understood this uh, earlier on are able to like were able to reap the benefits um, both on Instagram and TikTok. And I think yeah, now yeah. almost everybody understands that you shouldn't be so serious on Instagram because those posts necessarily don't do as well as the less serious ones. No, you're totally right. This is actually something that I'm also uh, unlearning because it's like years of finding the perfect shot or the perfect angle. Although I will say though, the whole like effortless video thing, oftentimes it still uh, takes a lot of effort and takes a lot of time and retries, right? Um, it just looks really effortless and approachable and simple and organic. And so I, I definitely think that's a very, very important direction that we're going in on all platforms. Yeah. And then I think the behind the scenes is almost more valuable on socials than the actual Mm. uh final product i think in the old days uh of like dvds and like uh movies like people would like have the behind the scenes section but only a small Mm. demographic would actually watch it right but now because it's so accessible on social platforms like people want to see like the the struggle people want to see like how they're getting this shot people want to like see if they can replicate it or not and then the final product is just the final product people don't there's not much value except entertainment right for most of the cases so I think it's so interesting how we can see the trend within like the last year of how everything is moving. Yes, that definitely became more and more mainstream where all of the behind the scenes actually get more views than the final Mm. product, especially on TikTok. Is that the case for you too? Yeah, 100%. So now even like a lot of the proper commercials I I do now, uh, I really focus on capturing the behind the scenes uh, as much as possible and thinking of reels that we can use for socials because the final product will be just shown once right it's like a 30 second ad on their platform or like our platform and then that's it but the behind the scenes you can use for so much uh more content and that will those content will do so much better as well yeah that's super smart so uh for anybody listening if you think it's really hard to create a lot of content uh, the most important thing is to capture the behind the scenes in as many (laughs) different ways as you can then you can literally you do it once but then you have so many pieces of content that you can repurpose and then cut into Mm. different videos tell the behind the scenes in different ways whereas if you only just focused on capturing the final content and you never document the behind the scenes then that's just one piece of content you'll get out of that 
all the effort that you put into to make it happen and get to the location or whatever. And then what else do you look at to see future trends? Uh, you mentioned that you spent a lot of time in Asia, including China, right? So you look at like Chinese TikTok? Yeah, so in China, uh, a lot of social like Western social media platforms like Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, they're all blocked. So mm. they kind of like created their own like system of, yeah. uh, of different social platforms, right? And... Yeah. Uh, there's this app called Douyin, which is basically Chinese TikTok. And I realized when I was living in China that a lot of money, like so much money that was meant for like uh, like high-end TV commercials, like hundreds of thousands of millions of US dollars, they're actually going and like pushing it into the production as well as marketing on just that TikTok mm. uh, Douyin platform. Yeah. Um, so where I remember like when I was like early on in my career, I was I would be like the cinematographer for these projects where would shoot like this uh, $80,000 like camera, put it vertically and then shoot mm. these like, shoot everything for vertical and socials. And this was like unheard of, I think at the time in Western, yeah. in the West, right? And mm-hmm. I kind of used that as a blueprint for believing in vertical format video uh, for the future. And yeah. now, even now I kind of use Douyin to find new trending sounds that aren't necessarily popular in the West yet. Mm-hmm. But if it blows up in China, then a lot of... Uh, I think eventually, like within a month or two, then like Western Western social will also pick it up and it will go viral as well. Yeah. Uh, so this is like a little mini hack that I use uh, as a blueprint for the future. And I think That's one more cool. little, yeah, I think one more little tip is that so the majority of the people on Chinese TikTok that make their money is actually through live video, mm-hmm. um, which is not so popular in the West yet. And I think Instagram's kind of testing this out with like Instagram badges, but not many of my yeah. friends do it. Uh, TikTok lies with like the gifts, but also you don't really make a ton yet. But I think within the next year, this will be uh, how a lot of people on TikTok will make their money actually by getting small donations and going live frequently. Exactly, mm, exactly. I, I see, think I live video will be the future, and this is my like my next uh, step after I build a proper cult following. I think. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there a reason why you want to maybe show up on stories first and show like your personality before you go live versus like just going live right away? Do you think it's just not that mature yet of a market for like going live all the time or or are you waiting to get more familiar with your audience? I, th- I think just like the live uh, just live industry, quote unquote, it's just not mature yet in the West. Like uh, my roommate actually, Steffi, Steffi is kind of big on Twitch, actually. She goes live almost uh, every other day. And yeah. she actually makes... She could make a full-time uh, living just from, like, Twitch donations. But if you go on the Twitch platform, you can actually just scroll all the way to the bottom of all, all the people that are alive uh, within, like, a few minutes. And it's not that hard. So I think mm-hmm. even on Twitch, where it's meant for live streaming, a lot of big people are on Twitch and people that you know. Uh, it's just not mature yet. But I think within mm-hmm. the next year or two, it will become a lot more mature. And a lot of the money will start to get pushed in that direction. I see. Oh, okay. That's very interesting. That definitely gives me a different perspective on live. I was never really big on like going live on Instagram. I've never gone live on TikTok. So I will definitely <laughs> heed your advice and incorporate that into my future content plan. Okay, let's conclude um, shortly. But before we do, I want to ask you about your plans for the near future. Is your plan to continue to grow on social media? You mentioned a little bit about building more depth with your audience. Um, but from there, what other plans do you have um, in your career? Are you planning to continue with commercial directing while doing social media on the side? Or will social media become maybe your main gig one day? 
Mm. I think uh, because I own a production company here called DMBZ, uh, we shoot like, a lot of high-end TV commercials, and I think it's still important to have this aspect of my life, and that way I can still learn and grow on the higher-end side. So I do want to push the company and build a company in Japan and eventually start opening branches in other cities and countries. Uh, I think that's like half of my goal. And then the other half is to continue growing my socials because this is where uh, I can become a lot more uh, personal with people. And then they're like, mm-hmm. oh, we like we like what you do for socials. Let's work on this campaign. And then after that campaign, I can be like, hey, by the way, I also have this production company where we shoot high-end commercials. We mm-hmm. can work on that side as well. So then yeah. that can kind of be uh, a route that I can push for. But yeah. I think the main, yeah, like that's 50-50. But then the main goal is to really uh, become a personal brand and people recognize my face and people want to see what I'm doing on a daily basis. I think it's yeah. super, super key right now. Yes. And it's so, so, so valuable. Once you build a strong online personal brand and you have a loyal audience, it is powerful beyond like having agencies or anything because then the possibilities are endless. You could scale that endlessly because you can scale your audience with no limits. You're everyone who has the internet access, who has the app can potentially be your audience one day. So there's so much potential there and you can create all kinds of different products to or build all kinds of different businesses just based off of your personal brand so i think you're doing amazing i'm so excited to see what's to come for you i appreciate that i think there's still a long way to go uh especially to get to where you are so one thing that you are also very good at is flattering people kissing people's <laughs> ass yes yes i have noticed but i appreciate it it, it does not go unappreciated <laughs> I, I think All I right. do it in a very organic way, where it's not so you out do. of the blue. <laughs> yes. That's yes. also another tip. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here and sharing your valuable tips and your journey. And I hope to chat with you again when you surpass me in follower count. No way. Thank you for having me, Tina. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to the Full-Time Influencer Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who could benefit from it. And I'll see you in the next one.